Hey there, today is June 24th, 2022, and it's a pretty big historical day in regards to the abortion conversation in the United States. The Supreme Court just announced their decision overturning Roe v. Wade. They have made a decision that they believe there is no federal constitutional right to an abortion. Going forward, abortion rights will be determined by the states unless Congress intervenes. About a month ago, the news that this decision might be happening soon was leaked to the public, and it started a lot of conversations. It prompted me to ask my friend Emily Snook to join me to record some bonus audio for the podcast that I shared with my Patreon community. But in light of today's decision, we decided to make the audio public for everyone. Just to note that when Emily and I recorded this, the Supreme Court had not officially announced their decision. We'll be talking about abortion, and I know this is a very personal issue for many of my listeners, and I wanted you to have a chance to decide if this is something that would be helpful for you to listen to or not. Emily Snook joins me for a family conversation about abortion. So many folks are talking about this since the news of the leak from the Supreme Court that has ramifications for Roe versus Wade. I'm referring to this as a family conversation because the intended audience for this particular conversation is those who consider themselves to be pro-life. Since that is the world Emily and I are familiar with, pro-life folks are our people, so this conversation is meant for this demographic. If that's not you, I'd still love for you to listen, and hopefully having this bit of context will help. I knew that Emily had a lot of thoughts on this as someone who has participated in the pro-life world. Over the last several years, she started to have some rising concerns about the way we talk about abortion, among other things, in this charged political world. There are a lot of perspectives on this, and Emily represents just one, but I think the concerns she raises are important to consider. Thanks for listening. Maybe how your understanding of the whole abortion issue has changed through the years Mm -hmm. and how that has informed the way you approach the whole conversation, because it's my understanding that you sort of have, even though you have considered yourself pro-life for decades right now, Mm -hmm. that the way you talk about it and the way you advocate has perhaps changed a little bit and you have a little bit different nuances that you would bring to the conversation. And I think that will resonate with a lot of listeners. So Mm -hmm. I would love to hear what your initial response was to hearing about that leak and then sort of seeing the different responses from like, you know, our team, you know, I I guess I don't know what team I'm on anymore, but for so many years, you know, I was a pro-life voter and single issue voter me too um like it was so important yeah Mm -hmm. in a way I kind of feel like I still am a single issue voter Mm -hmm. like it's the value and dignity of every human life period yeah Yeah, so let's just talk about that that, wherever you want to start wherever you want to start with that Emily so I mean okay let's You've Let's, talked to us before about you have, you have stood outside of clinics. Um, yeah, I've done all the every things. every day for, for 40 days, mm-hmm. um, praying and fasting at clinics in my town. Um, you know, I provided childcare for single moms, teenage moms that has always sort of been there for me that like, 
if I'm going to say this, then I need to mean it in all the ways. Mm-hmm. And, and for a long time for me, that was just personal, right? So like when I was really sick for a while and like, and I don't like birth control. Like I think, I think it does bad stuff to your body. I think it's a result of not taking feminine health seriously in a systemic way, which we can talk about later. Um, I chose not to take medicine and it made me more sick not to take it because I just couldn't add to the possibility that if I got pregnant again, I would miscarry again because of my choice, Mm. because of something I did. Because like my body is already, (laughs) like the odds are already stacked against me because Mm. of my body. Um, because of endometriosis and PCOS. And so I could not add to that risk, mm-hmm. even though it cost me things. But at the same time, like that's, that's coming from me saying like, I'm going to fully live out these convictions, even in a way that is costly to me, if I expect anyone to take me seriously about it. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, frankly, like, uh, there was a thing going around Twitter the other day, like if you lived a hundred years ago or two hundred years ago or whatever, would you be dead? I was just like, yes, several times. Yeah. Um, but um, but I mean, I talk about like if my first baby was not born in a hospital, we both would have died, and like and, and it was scary <laughs> anyway, like in the hospital with the medical interventions, and so it was less an issue of like okay, it's a gray area if a baby is a person or not, even if they're not born yet. I don't think that's true. But I do feel like there's this flattening of the conversation to you're misogynist and you hate women and you want to control them or you're a murderer dismembering babies. And there's all these things in between that that like that are not either of those things. So like the risk to pregnancy that long birth control use can cause is not the same thing as that. And so when we allow that conversation to be compressed and squished down into one thing, then gosh, I mean, like no wonder women who do not hold the same convictions that we do don't believe us when we talk about caring for them. Mm -hmm. And, and I think for me, the thing was that, like, I started to shift from holding all the correct propositional beliefs is righteousness um, and identifying with the group that holds all the correct propositional beliefs to, like, actually doing righteousness and justice is righteousness. Mm-hmm. And, and so that is sort of where it started to expand for me. It's just, like my value of the unborn should not hold me hostage to someone who is immoral in every way. Yeah. Like it shouldn't. Okay. So let's start with the whole Supreme court thing. I think Roe is really bad law and I'm not a lawyer, but I don't think it's bad law because it should go to the States or anything like that. Like we do not always do well when we leave things up to the States. I think it's bad law because it doesn't allow us to have the conversation that we need to have. Mm. And so it kind of cuts off the issue without us really working our way through it as a people. Cutting off the conversation 50 years ago when babies 
couldn't live outside the womb at the early times that they can now. And we didn't know things about, you know, about so many things that we know now. And I think that Roe is bad because it prevents us from really deeply wrestling as a people with both the flourishing and equality of women and the value and personhood of the unborn. And it's also bad for like legal reasons, like Ruth Bader Ginsburg thought that. that we, there's kind of this thing in the pro-life movement where like, okay, we just get rid of Roe and everything's fine. Like, and, and, and again, like there's this flattening of the conversation, right? Like right. doing away with Roe, if you look at statistics from the Guttmacher Institute, which is very pro-choice, um, they say like outline, outline Roe probably won't have that significant effect on the actual number of abortions performed in the United States because of where the majority of abortions happen and things like that. So, so even outlawing Roe is sort of this, or overturning Roe is sort of this flattened conversation and we make it be all of these things that it's not. So over, so overturning Roe is both less and more than what the whole conversation is. Right. Um, and, And I think that's sort of indicative of the whole thing that's happening is sort of a microcosm of the whole thing is that like we can't have a real wrestling with those gray areas because we're not even allowed to admit that they exist from either side. So that's, that's the one thing, but I've for a long time thought like Roe should be overturned. And also it doesn't matter that much. It's not my priority my priority is women to be fully valued by us as a culture right. so that they are not pitted against another vulnerable group of people. Oh, yeah. And for, I do think a human being with a unique DNA and a unique like personhood does exist there in the womb a unique soul breathed in them by God. But we don't, we don't win the flourishing of one vulnerable group by dismissing the concern for care and safety and autonomy of another one. Yeah. And so, and, and here's my deal about the conversation really, Amy, it's that like, I don't expect people who I think are wrong about this to be doing it the right way. But I do expect my people to do it the right yeah. way. I believe in, in protecting the unborn because I believe in the right and dignity and soul freedom of all people. If that's where we're coming from, then we should not have the expectation on people who are not coming from that starting point for them to behave correctly in order for us to. Yeah. And that's the thing that has bothered me so much about this is that like people are like, well, see like the pro-choice crazies, like I could care less what they do. Like what I care about is if in our arguments and our efforts, we are proving what we say about the unborn by the way that we treat their mothers. Mm. 
Yeah. And we keep having these opportunities to prove that we say what we mean and failing. Yeah. And so why would they believe us? Yeah. I think it comes, I don't, it's such an interesting thing where people have been so focused in on, you know, I would, I would say pro-life people very focused in on overturning Roe v. Wade. And that has been the yeah, argument even there for are voting less abortions for, now than there were before Roe. Yeah. And it has been, it has been illegal. Yeah. And this is why people, this is a justification people have for voting for people. They otherwise would not be able to mm-hmm. stomach voting for is mm-hmm. because, and I'm going to give those people the benefit of doubt and say, I believe that they are sincere in, yeah. in, in their belief and their conviction about abortion. And for those people, I would love to just gather them and say, if your conviction is about saving these lives, let's talk about what will lead mm-hmm. to saving their lives. Yeah. And when you say it's going to require something different than what you thought it was is a really big paradigm shift for yeah, people to, to take in. Cause the lesson has been, if we just change this law, mm-hmm. we're good, right? We're done. Right. David French has talked about it of a way to sort of talked about that, like just voting pro-choice, it, it takes care of, or voting pro-choice or voting pro-life or whatever, like to have this, like, okay, well, I'm taking care of the vulnerable by voting this way. And so it takes all of the responsibility and burden off of you and transfers it to the political system. And and it's weird that we feel like we can do that in this one thing, but then in other things. So when we talk about like universal health care or universal basic income or child care or things like that, like to like alleviate child poverty, we say, well, that's the church's job well, why is it okay to transfer our, our moral authority and obligation to the state in this issue Yeah, that, that puts the burden on someone else? And I think but, it's the belief but that not it has to do with other the issues that would put the burden on us. Yeah. And maybe it's that understanding, the misunderstanding that Roe v. Wade outlaws makes it mm-hmm. illegal to have an abortion or provide an abortion. And that yeah. is not the case. Um, yeah. What would actually happen is it would go to the States to decide state yeah. by state. Again, like I think laws, I think Roe is bad and should be overturned. And I think Casey is bad and should be overturned. But like a lot of these state legislatures are making me think that maybe they should also not get to make laws about it. Like, I mean, in my state, we had, we had people saying that, like, there should not be, we're not even talking about rape and incest uh, um, or deformity, like severe natal deformity things. We're talking about like ectopic pregnancy on the state of, of our, on the floors of our state legislatures. Like an ectopic pregnancy is a baby that will die or has already died. Mm-hmm. And has to be surgically removed so that the mom does not die too. Like, again, like back with like the, the birth control conversation, like those are not the same thing. And when we conflate them, then we're just telling the other side that their worst beliefs about us are true. Mm-hmm. Right. When we say an ectopic pregnancy and a DNC or a DNE to, to surgically save the life of a mother 
who, who has already lost a baby is the equivalent of murder, then how can someone who does not share our convictions, who has probably been, I mean, statistically has some sort of risk factor or, or trauma already in their past, how do they hear anything but I do not matter? My life does not matter. And the dismissiveness of a lot of men, they're like, well, babies are fully people. And so we just all agree on that. And then everything's fine. It's not. I agree with you that babies are fully people, but but the world is broken. And that includes our bodies. In fact, the brokenness of our bodies is the curse that's laid out in Genesis, right? Yeah. For us to say like, listen, this is really simple, is to say that we have a very small view of how much the curse of sin has broken God's good design of our bodies. Yeah. And I'm much more concerned about that than someone who is a secular progressive not agreeing with me about the issue of abortion? Like, I don't expect them to, but I do expect pastors and seminary professors to be able to think deeply about human brokenness and, and to wrestle with it and to not be threatened by saying, okay, there are some places where we can draw some bright lines. Mm-hmm. And then there are some places where we need to show epistemological humility. Yeah. An embryo has a unique DNA, but we don't know when God breathes the breath of a soul into them. Right. Where is that and, line? And, and so, where do we allow people's conscience to guide them? And where do right. we legislate and, that? Right. And, and so for me, like I, I'm comfortable drawing some bright lines. Most European and other industrialized, for lack of a better word, nations have much stricter abortion restrictions than we do. Yeah. A lot of them, like very early in the second trimester, only in the first trimester, can you have an abortion? Like, I'm great with drawing a bright line there. And, and then instead of being punitive mm-hmm. and trying to draw bright lines in places where maybe it's gray, or in a pluralistic society where we don't necessarily hold the same view of, of when that starts for people. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, and so punitive law may not be the way to fight that battle. And, and so for me, I think the, the shift for me has been if my goal is to force people to do what I think is right, then stricter and stricter and stricter restrictions is the way to do that. But if my goal is for all people to experience the freedom and flourishing that God breathed into them and that this, and that the fallen world is constantly trying to take away, then what is the positive vision for doing that. Mm. And what if we really dealt with maternal death and maternal health? What if we really dealt with child poverty? What if we really dealt with access to healthcare? You know, when, when my first son was born, 
I had some serious complications during labor. And then we didn't realize it until much later that I was bleeding internally because I had had tearing and we didn't know. And some complications happened afterwards. And, and our insurance ended up denying the entire pregnancy and delivery because I had one appointment a month later. So what if we really dealt with child poverty? What if we really dealt with, with not just maternal healthcare issues, but like the issue of things that like when women go to the doctor, they are not likely to believe, be believed about the severity of their symptoms. Hmm. They're often dismissed. And so we have some systemic problems in the way that we train doctors, the way that we just view women culturally. All of these things. And there's a lot of other things that need to go into this conversation. What if if a little girl who goes to her pastor and says, my daddy is doing this thing to me, can have confidence that she will be cared for and protected. What if the vast majority of sexual assaults and rapes do not go unconvicted? Mm -hmm. Yeah. If, if we could deal seriously with those things, I don't think that we're capable of, of solving them. Yeah. But, but what, what if we, what if we were dealing so seriously with those things, right? What if women and children in our culture saw, saw us really care about those things? then that totally transforms the nature of the conversation about why women get abortions. What do you do in cases of rape and incest? What do you do in cases where the life of the mother is at risk? It doesn't change the value and the personhood of the baby, but it changes the shape and the posture of the conversation. And so while we have all these other things sort of over our head and, and we can just confidently say, but it doesn't matter because the baby's a person. Well, fine. Then like, let's act like the baby is a person and do all of the things that we can do outside of just one vote for a politician. What if we put the burden on all of us instead of a group that is already vulnerable? That conversation cannot start and end with just Mm -hmm. adopting somebody else's child by telling a woman who is vulnerable, I will help you if you will give me your baby. Yeah. And I think that's, that is, there's something really important that we need to reckon with is that if we were providing Mm -hmm. the support, a lot of these women needed, Mm -hmm. there would not be babies to adopt. There still would be. Like there's still, there's, there's going to very many and that would be not in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. And that would mean that's a hard pill for some people to swallow. Right. So this is why I think that Roe is bad. Yeah. And we've seen people like in our local churches, like they've done like campaigns about like a no more fatherless campaign. Right. And then after like hearing the pastor preach, I have seen people go on neighborhood social media uh, you know, social media groups and say, Hey, I want you to know that if you're in trouble and you have an unwanted pregnancy, I will take your baby. 
not, not an offer of help of like help support them so they can keep their baby. And the message that sends, I I just, it's horrifying to me because I I don't, I see myself sending that message as a past version of myself and thinking Mm -hmm. I had no idea that that sent the message that said, I don't think you are able and worthy to take care of your own child when the odds are, and the statistics tell us that it is a a child will have a much better outcome in life. If they are with their own biological mother, even if they can only be provided with like the bare minimum, Mm -hmm. if it is a healthy, if their parent loves them and it is a safe place for them, even if their parent has hardly anything, they will have less issues growing up than if they were adopted into a family that gave them everything. I mean, I'm not talking about being spoiled, but like my friends who have adopted, like, I mean, they'll tell you, like, it's, it doesn't just magically solve things. Even, even with infants. Yeah. And, And so I think that's the thing is that like, like, I mean, this is why I keep coming back to like, we want to be able to flatten the conversation mm-hmm. into really clear polemics, right? Yeah. Like this is the moral thing. This is the immoral thing. And as long as I believe this moral thing and, and do, and do like this set of things, then all of this other responsibility is off my shoulders. Yeah. And, and I think that a biblical view <laughs> of valuing the lives of the vulnerable means that you're never looking around for other vulnerable people to put the burden of that value on, mm-hmm. but, but yeah. that you're, you're spreading it among us as a people or that the people who, who are not bearing it, take it on themselves. Mm-hmm. So, so I think what Roe did is it let us just truncate our morality on the issue. And so people who are pro-choice are pro-women, period. Even though we know that abortion does harm to women's bodies and minds, even when they want it, when they don't feel forced into it. Yeah. And then on the other side, we can say babies are full people. And so I'm morally correct. And and I don't have to do anything that is going to be costly to me to prove that I think that that baby is a person value worthy of care. All, all I have to do is say that you are not allowed to harm it. Well, and yeah. And, and that is not a new Testament value of care. So what happened with me is that I moved from my personal responsibility in being pro-life okay what does this look like for us as messengers of the kingdom of god Mm. in a pluralistic society and i just don't think that that's harsher and harsher restriction and punishment not because that baby is not a person worthy of being protected but because there are going to be times where that, that value is going to come in conflict with someone else's life. And we have to be able to wrestle with that and reckon with it. And we can't do that if we flatten 
everything, even these gray areas into black over here and white over here. And, and so I think the way that we deal with the gray is that we draw bright lines where it's not gray and then act like we believe it instead of retreating into our political tribes mm-hmm. and saying, I don't have any social responsibility towards the welfare of children mm-hmm. in my politics because I vote pro-life. And so I'm already socially, I'm already politically responsible for the welfare of children because I voted pro-life. What you're saying is very powerful and important for us to reckon with is that this is more nuanced and it's bigger than a vote Mm -hmm. and who we are in, in our identity as people that love and care for vulnerable people who care for women and Mm -hmm. children and care about life it does not begin and end with a vote. Mm-hmm. Although voting is important, what we do the rest of the time says a whole lot more about what we value. If, if we actually believe what we say we believe about what we value about life, then what we, we need to be doing something besides mm-hmm. the thing that isn't actually moving the needle. And it's going to require something of us. Yeah, I just think that For me, I'm going to expect the people whose argument is every single human life is important and matters and and should be treated with dignity and given opportunity to flourish. I'm going to expect those people to interact with people as though they believe that is true. I've been thinking a lot about like, especially since COVID, you know, like I, when the Republican primaries started to look like Donald Trump was going to be the nominee, I remember having a conversation with a friend saying, I'm afraid that there is going to be serious long-term damage to the cause of life because of this. To have what we say and, and what I believe is a moral, is a morally sound position that every single human person is worthy of care, no matter their circumstances. When we marry that together with dehumanizing immigrants and refugees and people in other countries and marry it together with credible allegations of sexual assault, and marry it together with vulgar and dismissive dehumanization of individual persons. Mm -hmm. It's hard to believe we actually care about women. It doesn't matter what the court does. The court is not worth that. We do not need the court to fight our battles for us. Yeah. What we do need is for a world to believe what we say. And, and so that started to happen. And then in COVID, I just, I heard people saying the words, my body, my choice, like a jab about not having to wear a mask. What if white evangelicals, I'm just talking to my people. Mm-hmm. What if white evangelicals in the South had said, we will not transfer our moral credibility 
to someone who should not have it Mm -hmm. for the sake of power and a vote and a court decision to be something that we want. We will not allow ourselves to be formed and shaped. Like there's, David French talked about this not very long ago. I After re-listening to this, Emily wanted to clarify that this research that she heard about was mentioned in a Holy Post episode, episode 504. So it wasn't a David French thing. It was a Holy Post episode, and I will link to it in the show notes. There has been, talking about like the evidence of like, there has been ideological and other like moral like influence of Donald Trump on evangelicals, not the other way around. Yeah. We traded our integrity on on the importance of character in yeah. leadership for and power. And it wasn't just for it and, wasn't just for a vote for the Supreme mm-hmm. Court too. Other things yeah. that we have been changed beyond yeah. that. We've been changed by it. There's that issue of like, man, the way that we talk to and about people has changed. Our willingness to not care about lies from our leaders has changed. When COVID happened, I I think a lot, what conversation would we be having right now in this moment if white Southern evangelicals who vote Republican or other people too, but th- these are my people. What if we had said every human life is worth protection and I will lay down my personal freedom for the sake of protecting other lives, even if that is costly to me, especially if it's just inconvenient for me, because I am going to ask you to believe me that it is worth laying down your personal freedom in your body to protect another human life. What if we, we had prophetically said that the elderly and the infirm lives matter regardless of their circumstances? Yeah. What if we said... We will support you leaving the abusive person that you're living with so that you do not have to be in an unsafe environment with this baby. Right. And what if that meant we don't take your baby? It meant we do whatever we can to let that person have a chance. We make space for you both to flourish. And we put the burden of that on us, even if we don't get something that we want from it. Right. Because. Because sometimes that's what the I'll take your baby thing is, is that it feels altruistic. But really, what if we gave you space and resources to flourish with your baby and then we don't even get to have a baby? Yeah. And I'm, I'm very pro-adoption. Mm-hmm. Again, it's the flattening of it. And, and so for me, like, I honestly, Amy, when I heard the news, my heart sank because I've I've actually kind of been fearing it happening, not because I think Roe is good and shouldn't be overturned, but because I think we greatly failed the moment to prove in a way that was costly to us, not to other people, not to, not to say this does not affect me. And so I don't have to carry the weight of it. 
I don't like this, so I'm not going to do it. I don't see those lives being lost. Mm -hmm. And so I don't have to care about them. We were given all of these opportunities in the past few years to prove out in actions and truths what we have said about, about, about loving people that we can't see. Yeah. And caring about their lives above personal freedom. And we didn't just squander it. Man, that is such a word because how can we have any credibility saying, hey, I know this is hard for you. I know this wasn't planned, but I need you to be willing to be uncomfortable for the sake of this other life when they weren't willing to wear a damn mask. I've been just dreading if judges appointed by Trump, Mm -hmm. I don't care what other people do. I care if we do things the right way, whether other people do or not. Right. Right. Like that's just how politics works. I don't care. Like we have, we aren't going to operate that way. The way some of that stuff went down and what if this moment was happening when we had not just spent years shredding our credibility. Yeah. That doesn't make Roe a good law. And it doesn't make the unborn baby not valuable. It's that we have lost all of our footing for anyone to believe us. Yeah. When I was saying, please don't say that he's pro-life. Please please don't say that this thing is pro-life. Please don't say my body, my choice, even as a joke, because you don't want to wear a mask. Please don't say that only old and sick people are dying. Please take this opportunity to wrestle with what it looks like to be for the lives of all people. We could have set an example. and, And we didn't just squander that opportunity. We flipped it upside down and did the exact opposite thing that you would that you would try to do if you were trying to convince people that what we say that we believe we really believe we set it on fire I think whatever happens with the court that we have done generational damage to people actually believing that we think that women's lives matter Mm. and even that we think that the baby's life matters Mm. The failure of the messengers does not make the message not true, but it does mean that like the actual work is so much harder. Mm-hmm. And so, and so my, my hope going forward is that I'm not going to be able to speak to certain people on this because, because they're not my people and they don't agree with me. You're speaking to your people. I want, I want to ask my people to hear what they're saying through someone else's ears and to ask this question. Who am I laying burden on when I should be picking it up and putting it on myself? Who are mm-hmm. we as a people laying burden on when we should be picking it up and carrying it together? Mm-hmm. And and that's what drives the conversation for me now. And and like I said, I I still land in the same place. 
but how I'm getting there and, and the things that I'm willing to do and say are just different because if the Sermon on the Mount tells us anything, if Jesus's teaching tells us anything, gosh, if the book of Malachi or Isaiah or tells us anything, like God is just as concerned with our posture towards others as he is with our like holding the correct moral positions, if not yeah. more so. He's always cared about and how we get to that end. I think that that value of the personhood of the baby flows out of valuing women. Mm-hmm. I don't think that we're going to be able to convince unbelieving people that this baby matters when they do not believe that we think they matter. Mm. And sometimes we're not going to be able to convince them of that no matter what they do. And that's not on us. Yeah. But man, we have not even been trying. Yeah. That's my thing. So like, I'm going to keep wrestling with it in the voting booth, in my conversations in my own heart that likes to just be right. And that'd be the end of it. Yeah. Um, I don't want to be afraid of wading into murky waters with the truth mm-hmm. and being afraid that the truth can't win. Even in that, I want to be able to, to use a David Frenchism to steel man the other side instead of straw man them. Mm. Because in that, I'm showing them respect and care for them as a person. Mm, that's a good word. Yeah. How and we get also, to the ends that we want matter a lot. Because yeah, if, we, if we use an ends justify the means, sometimes we can create a problem just as big as the one that we solved. That's right. If we look at the example of Jesus, like Jesus's life and resurrect, like the gospel, the good news of Jesus, right? It's the ends and the means. It all matters. And so if we're going to be shaped into messengers of that good news and and our means don't match our ends, then our gospel is distorted. The other thing that I want to be really sure of doing that is harder for me in this time because it's my people. I want to give space to people who were where I used to be of, I believe this thing. And so I automatically have moral high ground to everyone. Mm. I was the captain of that team. So I want to give space for that. Um, But also I'm just not going to be quiet in that I don't always know what that looks like and I don't always do it right but like I want to have a a totally different conversation where our argument is not just where do we draw the line on what restriction Mm -hmm. but that our conversation is how do we as a people work within this pluralistic society to create the most flourishing for everyone. Mm. And man, when, when we're having that conversation, I think some of that stuff works itself out in a way that we can't otherwise. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a dream. Like uh, 
it requires people working together. And, and it's and, something we haven't seen very much of. If yeah. we actually believe what we say we believe, people that are that would call themselves pro-life and people that would consider themselves to be pro-choice, there can there is work that can be done. Yeah. And so I I mean, my thing is like I'm going to keep working toward that. What if, mm-hmm. what if we had done these things? What if we do these things instead? And and that doesn't mean for me that like, I think that abortion should just be a free for all legally. Like I don't, um, I think that's dangerous for women for one thing, but also it's just that that's not showing. I mean, we, we limit our our freedoms for the sake of protecting people all the time, mm-hmm. um, as a people. And so, and so that is a conversation that we need to have. I, I just think that we're often in the wrong starting point with it. We think that this one sliver of it is the starting point and the end point, and we're ignoring all the rest of it, or we're just not willing to talk about it. Or we say, well, that's not the same thing because babies are innocent. Well, man, innocent children die in wars. Mm-hmm. And, and and I think sometimes we have to fight them. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know how to reckon that. Yeah, we need to be willing to have hard conversations yeah. and we need to be yeah. willing to admit what we do not know and, you know, keep moving toward caring a whole, a holistic care of life yeah. for everybody. This has been fun chatting with you. Has it been fun? Yeah, it has. This is good. I mean, it's it's a hard conversation, right? But I think it's important to have. And I think it's important to remind people that this is where hearts are changed. And this is is where we talk about the things where we introspect about what we need to do that can move the needle on something that makes the world a better, more healthy place where people can thrive. We need their reminder that it is bigger than a one-day vote. It's bigger than campaigning for somebody. It's going to happen outside of that. Um, sure, you can do that, but that's that doesn't absolve us of of the rest. And there are plenty of things that we can do to make that make ourselves actually look like we care about life. Yeah.